Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to a special online City Club forum on the coronavirus. It's the 12th of March, 2020. I'm Dan Maltrip. I'm the chief executive here. I'm also a member. COVID-19, which stands for Coronavirus Disease of 2019, can now be described as a pandemic. Earlier today, the Director General of the World Health Organization said at a briefing, quote, almost 125,000 cases have now been reported to WHO from 118 countries and territories. In the past two weeks, the number of cases reported outside China has increased almost 13-fold, and the number of affected countries has almost tripled. So of those confirmed cases, there are at least four in Ohio, three of which are here in Cuyahoga County. We're all feeling the impact. The Cleveland International Film Festival and the St. Patrick's Day Parade canceled yesterday. NBA games are suspended. And here at the City Club, we've postponed all forums in March and are moving to this online format to keep the conversation going and to keep you connected. So we've invited local public health officials and infectious disease and healthcare experts to join us today to provide useful, factual information about the coronavirus. The we're also gonna discuss the disease it causes, the impact it's having and may have in the future, and what we can all do to contain it and mitigate its impact in Cuyahoga County and beyond. And we'll be taking your questions. Before I introduce our guests, I wanna thank our sponsors, the Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging coordinates federal and state aging programs across the five-county region. And the Sisters of Charity Foundation of Cleveland works to improve the lives of those most in need with special attention to families, women, and children living in poverty. Providing factual, useful information on this threat to the people these two organizations serve, many of whom are especially vulnerable to this coronavirus, is a priority for them as it is for us. We thank the Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging and the Sisters of Charity Foundation. And I'm especially grateful to share with you today, we've received our first Continue the Conversation contribution, a special donation to help us continue to convene our community for virtual conversations during this challenging time. Today's Continue the Conversation contribution comes from Mark Ross. He's managing partner at PwC here in Cleveland, and he's also on our board of directors. And he chose to make this additional gift for two reasons. From a personal perspective, Mark is hoping to inspire other City Club members and friends to step up and make a contribution, a similar contribution to support our mission. And from a business perspective, PwC is a global professional services firm who's not only managing their own internal preparedness for this crisis, but helping clients to do the same. He believes that without question, our conversation today is the most important one that can be happening right now as enhancing knowledge and understanding about the coronavirus is how we will keep each other safe and informed. We thank Mark Ross and PwC for helping to make today's important discussion possible. So here's who we have with us. Next to me is Terry Allen. He's commissioner of the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. Next, uh, Meryl Gordon of the City of Cleveland. She's the director of public health there. And we have two physicians from Metro Health. Dr. Brooke Watts is chief quality officer and Dr. Akram Boutros is CEO of Metro Health. I wanna thank all of you for joining us today. Dr. Watts, I want to start with you. Um, one of the things that is on everybody's mind are what exactly are the symptoms? There's been a lot of information. And uh, so I'd just like to ask you, what are the symptoms people should look out for? Thank you. And thanks for having us. I really appreciate the, uh, the chance to have the opportunity to talk about this with the community. Uh, we know everyone is really um, uh, a little bit unnerved, as we, uh, as we all are. But the reality is that COVID-19 is a virus and viruses behave in predictably unpredictable ways. So uh, the symptoms of COVID-19 or uh, coronavirus are very similar to those of other viruses like the flu that we would think of. So what is the number one? Fever, right? And usually when we think of fever, we think of greater than 100.4 on your, your home thermometer. Fever is the most common uh, symptom of uh, symptomatic viruses, both flu and COVID-19. Uh, respiratory symptoms, particularly lower respiratory symptoms, such as cough, um, are also common, but fever is number one. Okay, and I understand that w what I learned the other day is that it's not, it doesn't really present like a cold, like with the sniffles and a lot of sneezing, but more like a dry cough and, and a really bad fever. Okay. 
It's really tough to get very specific about symptoms because viral symptoms are, are by nature somewhat nonspecific. Um, you know, this is the time of year when we all have a lot of different kinds of colds and there's a lot of cold viruses going around. Um, so in general, you're right. When we think of things that are more like sniffles, um, that the usual kind of upper respiratory, that isn't exactly what we're generally thinking about. It's almost like the distinction in my mind between what we would call a cold and what we really know is the flu. You know, that terrible fever with the myalgias that really makes you be able to have to, to stay home and get settled. It's tough because the language we use around these things are often very confusing for people of what the different kinds of viruses are. Now, Brooke, would you just explain a difference between upper and lower respiratory? If sure, you mention that. Sure. So usually, um, when and again, it's a, it's a, these are broad generalizations. But in general, upper respiratory is something that we more think of as a sore throat, a real stuffy nose, that kind of horrible feeling of your head being full and very snotty. Love it when the kids have that. I'm sure we all do. Um, but the lower rep respiratory, and this seems to be a little bit related to how the virus is causing the illness for folks, um, is more about that deep coughing um, and that sort of coughing up of sputum and, and congestion that we think of maybe in common terms as more being like pneumonia. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm a, a little, I worry a little bit that we're nuancing these in ways mm -hmm. that, that, you know, are, are broad generalizations. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I think it's important for people to understand that there are um, a lot of colds out there right now, mm -hmm. and we expect that. That's the time of year. Um, so not every cold is coronavirus. In fact, most colds are not coronavirus or COVID-19. But with fever and those terrible, terrible symptoms that make you feel like you want to stay mm -hmm. home, those myalgias, um, still most commonly would be flu. Myalgia means what? I'm sorry. That's a good good question. <laughs> Thank um, you. If you had them, you know. So it would be those terrible body aches that makes okay. you feel like you don't want to get off the couch. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, and if somebody's experiencing that, what do they do? Sure. Not get off the couch or go find a try and find a test? What do they do? Right. Um, these are good questions, and I think for all of us, this is evolving truthfully by the day. And I think when we're having these conversations right now an important thing for, for folks to understand is that our understanding, our knowledge, and our recommendations are changing by the day. And it's not, um, it, it's because we are working, all of us, from in the medical community and public health um, to try to be as open and transparent and as rapidly evolving as, as possible, right? Okay, so everything we learn is changing what we do. And I, I have a feeling that sometimes it feels very, very confusing to folks because it seems like things are changing by the day, but they're changing by the day because they should. Right. And I, you know, I would worry if they weren't. So right now, we in general, and I, 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 you know, I, I speak for what I know at this moment, um, for people who are just feeling poorly or who get a fever, who are feeling like they have the flu, my advice would be stay home. I, I'm going to look at my public health colleagues and my boss and see if they're all not. Yeah, they're right. all not Everybody's not. So I, I, I would say this, Doctor Boutros, go ahead. Yeah. So if you if you think about, um, you want to contain a, a spread of the disease. So the w way you want to do that is to limit contact. So if you if you're not short of breath, where you feel like you need uh, some help or immediate attention, and you can weather uh, a, a, a bad cold, or you can whether the flu at home, that's what you should be doing. You also should be isolating yourself from the rest of your family, right? That's one of those things is that you're doing your family a favor by making sure that you're quarantined uh, uh, to the place, uh, to, to, to your home and to your, to your um, uh, bedroom, let's say. Uh, the, the other thing is that other people need to help you, right? They, we need to provide you with, with the food, the medicine, everything that you need to do that you need so you're not going outside. And, and uh, the Red Cross is working on that right now and we're, we're other organizations are making sure that people who, the, if the number of quarantine uh, individual increases that we're able to uh, uh, provide that. And that, that is done uh, through the um, uh, Office of Emergency Management. And, and, and the other thing I would say to you is that before you go see your doctor, before you go to the emergency room, before, if you need help, pick up the phone, let us know you're coming. Because if we're prepared to know you're coming, we will make sure 
that you have all the, the necessary protection and we have all the necessary protection to limit the disease. Pick up the phone and call whom? So you can, if you're going to your doctor, you pick up the phone and call your doctor and say, here's how I feel, can I come in? And if they say, please come in or go to this center or go to another center, uh, they will t give you the advice. But if you need medical attention, right? If you, even if you call EMS to, to pick you up, you have to tell them what, you, what is going on. So they're properly protected, you're properly protected. All of the hospitals working with, uh, uh, working with the Departments of Health are developing what is also known as um, drive-through testing, right? Mm -hmm. It's not up yet, but we're all working uh, through it. It will be up very soon. So the people don't even have to get out of their car. We will do, be able to do the testing. They can stay in their car, and we will be able to inform them if they have it or not. Because ultimately, the most important thing about that visit, whether it's a drive-through test or, or an actual visit in a physician's office, is getting the test and confirming whether or not it's coronavirus, which can help you determine how you, the medicines you take and so forth. But there's no cure except rest and, and pushing through. Correct, doctor? Right. So we, we know that, you know, we, that from what we know now, 80% of the cases are very mild. And truly, for those folks, you're not going to even need to call your doctor. Mm -hmm. You're going to be sick. You're going to feel a little lousy. You're going to stay home. Number one thing is stay home. If you're sick, stay home, right? Sick, stay home. So let me just interrupt yeah. real quick. Um, that means that while there are four or five confirmed cases in Ohio right now, there are likely many, many more cases in Ohio right now that we just have not confirmed via test and may never confirm. I'd ask my public health colleagues. Yeah, I Terry think, Allen, go I ahead. think uh, uh, that's the conventional wisdom is that <clears throat> as you seek, you will find. Mm -hmm. And so as we're standing up tests, first at the state health department, now with private labs and as, as uh, uh, you'll hear from our medical colleagues uh, within systems, the, the, the uh, speed at which test uh, re results come back and the availability of tests will expand over time. And so as we look, we do expect that we will find more cases. So, so uh, just, I, I, want you, I want you to think about this. The epicenter of this is Wuhan, China, okay? 11 million people in Wuhan, okay? The last number I have is there are 81,000 cases in Wuhan, China that have been confirmed, right? These are either diagnostic because they have the constellation of symptoms and we said that they have it, we didn't even do a test, or that they actually did a test and confirmed that they have it. That number to me seems incredibly small for such an infectious disease. So that means I'm supposing is that our people who have really mild symptoms almost have no symptoms at all. So, so if that was to be true, right, if that was to be true, then there are a lot more cases around than, than, than we know of, okay. right? And, and the only way you'll find them is if you test the population in general, and there's absolutely no reason to do yeah. that. And so, so an example would be in 2002, some of you remember that West Nile virus sort of moved across the country. It was mosquito-borne disease, and it, it, so in that context, uh, we saw it move rapidly from one coast to the next. Afterwards, we worked with Case Western Reserve University and did a sero survey. Basically, we took random samples in the community and we took blood tests. We found evidence that it was widespread in the community because people had antibodies to West Nile virus. I would expect that perhaps a year from now or somewhere in that time frame that we will see uh, a sense of what that uh, community burden is um, um, sort of down the road, but we'll know it's, it's probably fairly widespread. You know, there's some an unbelievable good news here. If you look at, again at the epicenter for, for where this has been going, the cases, the new cases that were being reported were, you know, 400. There was one day they reported 1,300 new cases, right? Then, then it went down to 200. Then it went down to 100. Then it went down to 80. Then it, today it's 18. So it keeps going down. So the measures that we're all taking very aggressively here and we're advising people to do, and we're happy to talk yeah. about that and mm -hmm. all those things, they work. If they work in Wuhan, China, they will work in Cleveland, Ohio. It's just that simple. Meryl Gordon, in Cleveland, Ohio, in the city of Cleveland, Ohio, yes. where you yes. were director of public health. Um, what is, uh, when, there's a lot of confusion about social distancing and what it actually means. We asked uh, our community on Facebook and Twitter, and by the way, I should say that if you want to, if you want to text a question to, uh, to our conversation here and we'll work it in, 
you can text to 330-541-5794. I'll say it again, 330-541-5794. And our team will work it into the program. We'll feed it to me at some point. Sorry. But um, we, uh, we've gotten a few questions from people in the community about what exactly social distancing means and at what point should they start implementing um, a different level of social distancing if they're feeling sick. But talk about what it means, first of all. Well, social distancing is sort of that rational um, 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 thought of if you're sick, I don't want to be sitting a foot and a half away from my colleague here, Terry Allen, right? Yeah. Um, so Even thinking on a good day. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm oh, the best day. No, no, no. <laughs> we really actually, um, yeah. Terry and I, uh, we go way, way, way back, and um, um, and this has really been a partnership. I think that, you know, if I could take one second to yeah. both thank you for putting this on, thank you for your viewing audience, yeah. um, and really appreciate our opportunity to, um, to talk with you about this. Um, but the Cleveland Department of Public Health and the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, um, we are working so closely and um, really appreciate your staff and my staff really working together on all of this and responding um, and keeping up with all of the guidance. Um, but the social distancing is, um, is really that. It is the whole idea um, and what we know is that the droplets that can convey um, and transmit this virus can travel approximately three feet or so um, should you sneeze or speak and some um, and, and spew perhaps some droplets. Um, so keeping at least that, you know, three to five feet, um, sometimes a little bit more if you are um, feeling ill. This is why mass gatherings are such a concern um, and why so many have been canceled is the whole idea of so many people in such close quarters together and that ability to transmit this with one sneeze, right, or, 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 um, um, or some human interaction. Um, so we're really trying to convey as much as possible some common sense, co consistent messaging about, um, as um, Dr. Watts mentioned, if you feel ill, please stay home. Do not come to work, do not come into close quarters with others um, and perhaps infect them. Don't even go to the supermarket, right? Yes. Let someone else do it for you. It's not worth it for you, for your family, or anyone else. And uh, for those of us who are, you know, have older family members who are who were sort of responsible for in one fashion or another, it, should we be offering to go to the store on their behalf if we're feeling Absolutely. well? Absolutely. Okay. So the elderly population has the highest mortality rate right now, and those especially with chronic diseases and are older. So if if you if they you know I have a 96 year old uh, dad and a 92 year old mother they are self quarantined because it is much easier for them to have other people bring things for them. So they're not quarantined because they're feeling no. ill or anything like that. But sort of that's because that if they get the virus, right. they're going to have a high mortality rate. Okay. Yeah, out of abundance of caution is our standard language. Uh -huh. I think it, what's been instructive for us is what's happening on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So if we look at this concentration of cases in in the Seattle areas, in California, we're seeing a concentration in, in New York as well, that we're watching the, the steps that they're taking. And so we're seeing the long-term care facility affected in Seattle. So as, as uh, uh, Akram and, and Brooke mentioned, you know, we want to make sure that we're assuring that those most vulnerable folks are taking extra steps to make sure that they're safe. Just to remind you, that's then, Terry oh. Allen. He's the uh, commissioner of Cuyahoga County Board of Health. Merrill Gordon of the, of the City of Cleveland, the Director of Public Health there is with us as well. And for Metro Health, Dr. Brooke Watts and Dr. Akram Boutros are both with us. Um, we touched on, on self-quarantine, um, but not exactly on when people should self-quarantine. And we've, we've said it a little bit, but what if, um, what if after today, one of you, heaven forbid, is uh, diagnosed and or just starts feeling I'm ill? I'm going to be working from home. You're going to be working then, and then immediately we all—all all of us should then be self-quarantining. No, you're talking about contact. Yeah. So, so that's really their thing. Yeah. You should. So, so Terry Allen, so, what should, if if uh, yeah. if Dr. Boutros is sick tomorrow, right. what should I do? Okay, so if I am uh, 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 Dr. Boutros's son, I'm a I'm a direct contact of him. If he is a documented case then I need to self-quarantine. But you, you run into him occasionally in events like this. You, a contact of a contact, that would be you, should not self-quarantine unless I'm sick, you okay. see. So that's sort of how this rolls. You okay. find evidence of, of transmission elsewhere from 
a wider spread, but you don't go too deep in terms of tracking people. It's those direct first ring contacts. And I'll also say too, so this is the work of public health. So if Dr. Boutros did get, um, was determined to be a confirmed case, the contact tracing that public health is doing is he would reveal that he sat on this panel and was one foot away from Dr. Watts, mm -hmm. two feet away from me, three right. feet away from Terry and four feet away from you. And we would start doing all of that contact tracing um, and making sure that individuals yeah. are contacted and taking mm -hmm. precautionary but measures. But let's just be clear, if I, if I don't feel well, it doesn't mean I have coronavirus. Right. It means I am going to work from home mm -hmm. and should I develop symptoms of coronavirus, right? So I, at Metro Health, if you are, if we send you home or you go home because you're not feeling well, you have to check in with our employee health department every day. You have to send us an email, you have to talk to us, say, here are my symptoms, here's how I'm doing. Because as the symptoms elevate, and there's higher risk, we may come out to you and do a test on you, right? But just because I'm not feeling well doesn't mean they're gonna do start doing contract tracing because I could have I have, to have a cold. A confirmed there's, case. There's so, right. Dr. Watts. Other things, I mean, strep, think about it, strep throat, you know, other kinds of colds we've talked Wednesday about, um, flu diseases. still. So again, just because you don't feel well is not does not mean mm -hmm. you're coronavirus or, coronavirus or COVID-19. But it, it reiterates this point that we should all think about during flu season anyway, is if we're not feeling well, right. we need to stay home. And, for mo and if you would, as Dr. Boutros said, to develop symptoms, for example, hospitalization that, you know, for an undiagnosed respiratory disease that prompted screening, that changes the path into our public health colleagues. If it's okay, I would like to go back quickly to the vulnerable populations. Yes. Um, one of the things that's evolved over the week that I think might be important for the community to know about um, is we, along with others, um, based on guidelines coming from a variety of different agencies, are very uh, being very, very strict about visitation to nursing homes. Mm -hmm. And this comes out of what we've seen on the West Coast and others. Mm -hmm. And I know this is really hard for, for, um, for families um, but I, we know, as Dr. Boutros said, that our most, really our most vulnerable are, are elderly and, and chronic disease. So, you know, we're asking um, families to not visit, truthfully not visit their family members in nursing homes at this time, irregardless of whether they're sick or not. Right. We're facilitating a lot of different ways to communicate. Mm -hmm. We're all going to get a lot better about FaceTime, but uh, I think this is yeah. really important given the vulnerability. Okay. I think, Allen, I, think uh, I, I want to make a, a point here I think uh, that's, that's very relevant. So we've seen Governor DeWine take some steps around uh, this idea of, of uh, social distancing and trying to provide some guidelines. So from a public health standpoint, and the way that the City Club is uh, leading with sound public health practice with this virtual forum, mm -hmm. so, so has the state. So the, the governor has taken steps around gatherings, around uh, public at uh, sporting events, around guidance for nursing homes. So what he's doing is leading, he's giving the local communities tools tools to use to try to uh, reduce the uh, spread of the virus to break that chain of transmission. So one of the questions that was, uh, that was asked, we collected some of these earlier, as I mentioned, and I'll just mention again the phone number if you want to text a question is 330-541-5794, 330-541-5794 if you'd like to text a question to us. Um, it has to do with uh, vulnerable populations and, and other and populations that don't seem so vulnerable. Children seem to be faring very well, surprisingly well in all of this. Um, Emily asked, it sounds like social distancing is key to, all, to, to combating this, but does the fact that my child is still going to school defeat the purpose? So, so what's interesting is, is Seattle is helping us here. So we're, we're watching their decision-making on how they're using these mitigation strategies, things like social distancing, remote work, uh, mass gatherings. And so what we learn about schools, and the Governor DeWine said this last night, that they're not prepared to close elementary schools, uh, secondary schools. But what we know is that if kids stay home from school, then their parents are home. And sometimes, or caregivers, sometimes their grandparents, they may be more vulnerable, and you could be exposing them. You could be keeping people home who then uh, could potentially lose their job because they don't have sick time. You could be keeping healthcare workers at home. So the point is that we look at school closures, and again, there's a whole 
section of guidance from the CDC based on the H1N1 2009-2010 pandemic that talks about a tiered approach to school closure. It's disruptive, but it's based on science. And so right now it's just a tool in the kit, but we haven't gone there yet and hope we don't have to. Here's can, a, can I talk about work for Dr. a second? Dr. Butros, yes. Because I mean, I will tell you the thing that I have gotten the most calls for from, from other CEOs and the like is. About workplace. Is about health. workplace. What are you doing? And I'm, I'm not going to talk about public health. I'm going to talk about what Metro Health is doing. Okay. okay. We have identified individuals uh, or identifying all individuals who can work from home that will not be disruptive to the organization at all. Our first phase is, I think, as of Monday, we will uh, ask anybody who wishes to stay home and work from home to do that. That should reduce the number of people who are coming to Metro Health. The next phase of escalation is that we will ask everyone who can work from home to work from home. And the last phase of escalation for us is that we will only have those are necessary for the continuity and safety for patients in the facilities. So plumbers, for example, and I talked about this, may actually be stationed outside the facility, maybe in their home with the ability to come in very, very quickly to us, right? So, so that's the three phases of remote work. Those who are, can work from home and want to work from home should work from home. Those who um, um, there's no problem with the organization uh, uh, for working from home, the organization can make a decision we don't want anybody to be here, so this is, this is an easy one. And the last one is when you have only the absolute necessary individuals to for continuity of service. No. Um, so, yeah, no, Gordon, Dan, go ahead. Um, um, the, the whole notion of a continuity, continuity of operations plan um, and having businesses, organizations really think about this, this started coming out weeks ago of thinking if you can have non-essential employees work from home, the whole idea of um, um, looking at your whole space and where people work and how um, in close confines, what does that mean? Um, we're seeing a lot of um, um, places really ramp up their sanitation of commonly um, touch surfaces and those kinds of measures. I hope everybody in your viewing audience has heard the mantra of wash your hands with soap and water for right. 20 seconds. Um, um, there might um, recommend a contest of who has the most creative jingle um, to recite um, to take up those 20 seconds. Um, but, um, but those kinds of messages have been um, relayed and continuously relayed to businesses, organizations, schools, et cetera, um, because as these steps um, continue to happen and the guidance continues to be provided, um, decisions need to be made. And there are implications to every single decision. As Terry mentioned, we close a recreation center. That's a huge thing. There's a lot of implications to that. Can we perhaps instead make sure that some of the, the, the sporting events or what have you that take place in those recreation centers that are contact sports, Maybe those aren't taking place, but there are other things that can actually happen there. So it's a lot of thinking through how we can actually have these services and continue to, you know, operate as a civil society right. um, through all of this, but being as precautious um, through such a precautionary lens. Merrill Gordon, the the rec centers that you mentioned are part of the public infrastructure. We've been thinking a lot about public infrastructure through our One Community Reads program, where uh, we read Palaces for the People which focused on all of public infrastructure, but particularly libraries. Mm -hmm. Libraries uh, across Cuyahoga County, and I think many others across the state, are canceling programs, but remaining open. And they're really important for vulnerable populations, homeless populations, who use libraries as a place to be. Mm -hmm. um, what are we doing in the city of Cleveland for homeless populations? This was a question from Audrey. Um, certainly. That is, um, we've been working very closely with the Office of Homeless Services and um, the agencies that support a number of the shelters that are in place in Cleveland. Um, this started quite a while ago in terms of, again, how sanitation measures need to happen, thinking about the close proximity of individuals. Um, do we need to perhaps look at um, alternative sites so that there can be more space in between individuals um, as they sleep? There's, there's a variety of things that are being thought through. And again, the guidance and looking at other communities, how they're doing it. So thinking is happening on every single level of how to implement some of these precautionary measures. Do, okay. This, I just am imagining the difficulty of contacting 
and finding homeless individuals who, um, you know, who may be presenting symptoms, but you know, and you certainly don't want them at a large-scale shelter or anything so, like that. So we we provide health, we provide health care for our homeless population. So we send residents to 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 see them. They have a relationship with them. They'll continue to do that and assessing them if they if they are at risk or not. One of the things that also happens is some of the homeless folks are 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 already practicing social distancing. They do not like to, to interact with people significantly, right? So, so there are there are things that are pro and there are things that are con, right? Right. right. And and I think where where the population is fairly small, we'll all work together to make sure that they are addressed. Uh, their health concerns are addressed. Dr. Akram Boutros of Metro Health. Our text uh, our text number for questions is three three zero five four one. 5794. That's 330-541-5794. Another question from our audience. Um, apparently, we weren't very clear about self-quarantining and things, so there's a couple of questions here. What specifically is considered close contact with a symptomatic person that should require self-quarantining? And I'm hearing from the panelists that I sh we should stay home whenever we present symptoms such as fever and myalgia. It's getting out there. They're listening, Good. right? They know Correct. what the, that, the, the listener, the listener understands what myalgia <laughs> is. But let me let me just finish the question here. If we aren't getting tested, at what point do we sound the alarm to colleagues, friends, and family, and those that we've had recent contact with to be alert of the potential for the coronavirus? I'm going straight to Dr. Watts. <laughs> Well, I'll get, I'm, I'm going to give you my best answer, but it's going to be an interesting one to see if we all, all agree on, on the panel. I really so, hope you do. So I, I just want to make, just go back to this point, if you have fever and myalgias, irregardless of whether the coronavirus going on or not, you should not be going out in public. I hope we can, if, yeah. if we all take, you know, a lesson learned from from this um, this experience, it would be you know this is what we do to prevent the spread of the flu, and this is what no what more we, soldiering on. Yes. No, no, it isn't soldiering on. It, it's 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 irresponsible it, it is behavior. Irresponsible behavior putting your community at risk. And to make the point, you know, here in Cuyahoga County, how many hospitalizations have we had from the flu this year, Terry? We've had uh, 1,500. That was as a week ago, and 3,500 folks seeking uh, care at emergency departments and 18 fatalities this flu season. In our county. In, in our county. In our county. Thank you for that context. So context, right? And this is the reason that we talk. So when we say, no, you know, don't go out in public with fever and myalgias, this is a baseline important for our community. And when we don't do it, we see 1,500 hospitalizations and deaths. At what point do we sound the alarm? Right. So the, um, the, for what we know now, for mild cases, there's no treatment, right? The treatment is you take care of yourself and your family with the ways that you make, feel, make you feel good, whether that's, you know, that you're, if you're a tea kind of family or whatever kinds of medications over the counter that are special and comforting for you and your family. So for me right now, because we, we need to lower the risk for our population and exposure and we don't have a treatment, mild cases, truthfully, mild cases are self-care at quarantine at home. That's what feels right to me and I'm going to look to, my, to Dr. Boutros Absolutely. and my colleagues to see if they agree. Terry Allen, you agree? Absolutely. So there's no reason to tell anyone yeah. you, you're, you, that they should check themselves because- or quarantine themselves. Because if they develop symptoms, they should quarantine themselves. Okay. You okay. telling them, hey, maybe in the next three days you may develop symptoms, all it does is create anxiety. And let me just be clear about this, okay? Thank you. People are unbelievably anxious. Okay? Yes. Unrealistically anxious about this. So, so you have extraordinary professionals at, at, at the city, at the county, We've, uh, at, at all the health system, we are prepared for this. We will handle this. We will, in my view, we're not gonna have mass pandemic around here. If Wuhan can do it, we can do it. Just, we need people to just follow our, our, our advice. Stop things like purchasing um, uh, masks, right? Toilet paper that is like to no end. It's becoming like gold, right? Why? That is the. I lovely. have no idea. But but let me just explain something us. to you. People just think maybe these, your people can. these old wives' tales and some of these things are protective, and they're just the opposite. Yeah. You wearing a mask is most likely will have you touch your face, yes. which we do not want you to touch anything above your chin. We don't want you touching your face. So if you put a mask on and you don't need a mask on, you're more likely to get. 
the, the, the uh, virus. Uh, virus. If you start taking zinc because you think somehow it's prophylaxis, you tend to do more risky things. It's a false uh, sense of security. Mm -hmm. yeah. False you know, sense of security. The, Terry the, Allen, the go One ahead. thing I'll add is that, you know, uh, Akram talked about public health and health systems working together. I think what we learned from 2009 H1N1 and from Ebola is that working together works. So what that means in practice is that there is an emergency operations center, city and county, together with clinical partners, with safety forces that are connecting to a wide range of sectors in the community, to schools, to businesses, to daycares, to nursing homes, to push out the latest information. One voice, one message from a central place, and that is the way to assure uh, that, that uh, people have the best information and also to try to address the anxiety because we know that knowledge is power. Terry Allen is Commissioner of Public Health for Cuyahoga County. Merrill Gordon, Director of Public Health for the City of Cleveland. Um, are health departments, is a question that came in via text, are health departments following students who returned early Mar from early March from study abroad or from Italy and other countries? What is known about traveling students? And can you also provide some context to the college, you know, higher education, suspension of, of in-person classes and what that means for students who may already be here and then what are they supposed to certainly, do? Certainly, certainly. Yeah. But we'll also, as we do this, we'll kind of keep doing these little PSAs of yes, wash please. your hands and prevention. And also, sure. as we were talking about influenza, you can still get your flu shot. And yeah. we encourage you to do mm -hmm. that if you haven't done it yet this season. Um, when this all sort of kicked off and came on our, our radar, um, um, and China was starting to see these massive escalations of cases, um, Colleges and universities were the first place we started. Um, it was also Lunar New Year, so people were returning from um, winter break and um, visiting home from China. Those were the first cases that we were all made aware of in terms of doing the contact tracing and having them self-quarantine and take their temperatures um, twice a day and reporting into health departments. Um, this has been kind of an ongoing thing. We realize that um, the co close confines and the kinds of interactions that take place on colleges and university campuses um, and that kind of behavior has um, led to that guidance of um, not having them return from spring break and um, um, and having them essentially shut down their campuses. Again, each having implications for individuals and these students, um, but trying to work through all of that. Um, but we are tracing travelers still, um, the individuals who are coming to our attention. It was really um, amazing to see how all of the plans and mm -hmm. everything that had been learned from every single um, um, incident for the last you know, decades mm -hmm. of public health really came into play. Um, um, health departments were made aware of these travelers in a way that was um, based on um, um, the feds and, um, um, and then all of that information uh, trickling down to health departments to do that kind of work in terms of yeah. contact tracing. You know, the one thing I will say is that viruses, and our uh, good doctors know this, that they do not discriminate. So we've heard stories. Um, even at the, we were together at the uh, city council hearing this morning and, and the this, this stigmatization that's happening and people trying to um, sort of reach out and make decisions about who they think is at risk. Viruses move through communities. They don't choose and pick and choose. So, so we need to really uh, check that if we see it and be aware of it and recognize that it's not based on science or fact. Viruses do just, they wind up attacking people who don't wash their hands though. I think that's well, so here's the thing. I tell people is imagine, imagine that you have coronavirus on your hands. Okay. Okay. If you wash, if you wash them, you will actually wash them off. So we don't say wash hand, wash your hand just because, you know, we we like you to be clean. You actually will shed for coronavirus if you have it on your hand. If you if somebody sneezed and it it got on you, you're going to do that. And I also want to make a, a very big difference between uh, droplets, what we talk about here, and air transmission, right? We do not believe this has any air transmission. Tuberculosis is air transmitted. Mm -hmm. You and I sitting in the room this far away mm -hmm. from each other, breathing the same air, TB can, 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 can pass that way. This is about six feet is what coronavirus we're concerned right? about. So, so mm -hmm. if I sneeze and you're this far away from me and I have coronavirus, the likelihood you will not get it. You know what's the best likelihood you're not going to get it? If you go and wash your hands, okay? So if I sneeze and you're around, go wash your hands and you'll be fine. 
to add to this is, um, so we, we, we heard, we talked a little bit about the masks. Um, on my way here, I think I saw about four people with masks, some of them below the nose, <laughs> right? One, you know, so it's, it's a false sense of security, I believe. And yeah. people wearing gloves, um, the surgical gloves. Um, um, you touching things on your face, even with surgical gloves, is going to transmit these droplets. These are not helpful. These are not helpful. Okay, okay. So, but you're saying I should wash my hands is what I think yes. I'm hearing you say. All the time. All so the you time. mentioned you should wash, I'd wash your hands. Okay, there's another question that came in via text. Our text to, our text, our question, our text number for questions is 330-541-5794. Um, domestic travel. What are the risks of traveling domestically by car? Are the precautions different than what has already been said? Should all travel be suspended? All domestic travel be suspended? Terry that's, Allen. Yeah, that's currently not indicated by uh, CDC. There is, there is up to the minute travel guidance that is made available on their website. You can type in your destination and it will tell you whether it's an at-risk country and to make decisions about travel. There is no current indication around, uh, around domestic travel. So I would, so I would suggest though your, there should, there's probably some uh, some common sense at play, though. I mean, I wouldn't drive to uh, yeah, Westchester yeah. County, New York, right, right now. And certainly, I, you know, I've you might got not be able to get in. Right, that's right. probably true mm -hmm. too. But you know, I've got my my parents are getting up there. They're 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 healthy, but they've uh, got some chronic challenges. And they came back from Florida for a week with uh, uh, with some friends, and they're staying put. It makes good sense, and I think that's just sound public health practice. But, but there are there are still some conferences that are not yet canceled. So if you mean domestic travels and you're going to be with 10,000 people, it's not a good idea. So, so right. what the purpose for travel is. So we instituted a policy about travel, not because we don't want anyone traveling, but because we want our staff here to be able to, to, to provide care for, for employees, right? So we don't want them in large, uh, even in large uh, gatherings, even in our county, right? if they can avoid it. What's a large gathering? What's the threshold for a gathering being mm -hmm. a threat, Dr. Watts? Um, we, we are making this up as we go. Um, and it frankly it depends a bit on the Please risk. Please tell me you're, just, yeah. you're actually using evidence and informed decision making, uh, not making it up. I wish I could. We had, there's been some great conversations about what that mm -hmm. means. It's been defined wow. differently by different groups. And the truth is, and I, the, again, trying to be transparent, is we're trying to make good judgment. And for me, you know, in my mental model, it's would I want my you know, a vulnerable family member in that environment, right? And, you know, if it's packed in like sardines, even if it's in an outdoor setting where someone could easily sneeze on you to Dr. To Dr. Boutros's point, that feels very uncomfortable to me. Does that make sense? It, it does, but yeah. it, doesn't, it, doesn't it doesn't provide answer. guidance. It's like, so, yeah. so churches are 50 people, they're 500 people, right. at which point is a, is a congregational gathering a problem? Right. So, so what I do know is that is that you know the science here is not exact because we're we're learning as we go. We do know that the state has been working on and, and plans to provide some additional guidance around mass gatherings. So, as we go forward, more information will be made available. We're going to be learning from the West Coast, mm -hmm. and people have to sometimes be patient. They have to make good decisions. If a bunch of seniors are going to be at an event, you might want to think twice about whether you want to hold it. I, I'll right. give you an example. We, we have we have our instant command center. We have 60 people who are going to be gathering at 2 o'clock today to have that discussion. Okay? It's a very large room, larger than this room, right? Having 60 people in that room for a short period of time yeah. isn't a ma major issue for me, right? Having them, having uh, um, 200 people in the room that we're sitting in, w where there are some significantly vulnerable population and sitting for three, four hours, right. that is something absolutely I would avoid. So it's, it's how how much space you have between people and how often, uh, how, how long you're, you're uh, uh, in contact with them and also how, how much, how, um, how diverse the group is. Right. So if the group is from, is, is from, is from England and, and, and China and Egypt and, and the West Coast and the, and the East Coast and all that, that diversity actually creates more risk for us. So, so in our community today here, we don't have a lot of cases, right? We literally can count them on one hand, right? Today. So, today, so, so having people that you work with on a regular basis, 10 people in a, in a room for a brief period isn't an issue. 1,000 people, hmm. 
in a, in a, in a, in a room for three hours, absolutely a big issue. I want to circle back to, um, to vulnerable populations. Sherry asked this question, where can people access donations of over-the-counter meds to alleviate discomforts if they can't afford those meds? So we're, again, we're working with, with uh, so, yeah, so Sherry Allen. What, what I would do, thank you. So what I would do is I would, uh, I would contact the Emergency Operations Center and then, and then How do we, we contact can, the Emergency so you, Operations the Center? The number is 216-443-5700. 216-443-5700. And what they're doing uh, is they are uh, assisting local folks uh, to try to work on some of the messaging and, and identify the needs. Um, capacity, if things go really bad, there's been this question about ICU beds uh, in, across the country and, and here in Ohio. Um, Dr. Boutros, it, it, so, so is this something people should worry about right now? Uh, um, you mean the, the public? The public. People like me need to worry about it. Yes. I think the public in general needs to trust us that we're doing what we need to do. I'll That's give you an example. Most uh -huh. people don't know uh, this, but when we created our critical care pavilion, we created uh, 82 beds, okay? We also have the special disease unit, the, the Ebola unit in that, in that area. But each one of these room we built for capacity of two beds. So the, despite the fact they're single beds, if we have an emergency, we can go from 82 to 164 patients in the same exact locations. All we need is to make sure we have that, that staff. Wuhan. The Cleveland Clinic has its emergency plan. They understand how many people yeah. they, they, they can get. And, and, and by the way, we can reduce the number of populations who are in the hospital, right? We reduce elective procedures. For a while, we can increase the, the number the of patients. I, I hate to raise this, but you talked about Wuhan before, a, a city of 11 million yeah. people. The state of Ohio has 11 million people. Yeah. You said something like 81,000 confirmed cases yep. or 87,000. I can't remember the number. Yep. Um, that if we were at that level, would the state of Ohio have the capacity to handle that in terms of hospital space? We have a lot. So, so it didn't happen in one day, right? right. So over over the over the uh, it's been three or four or five months. I, I well, hate to be alarmist, but these are the were not in the hospital, right? Okay. They were at home. They were right. recovering at home. They had mild symptoms. About eighty percent of them had mild symptoms yeah. at home. So, and so and remember, not needing. But I also know. Care. But I, I also know that that in China they were standing up uh, mobile hospital units. We and we need like to that. learn more about that. So. Okay. And truthfully, remember this is if we do what we're saying, if we do good public health measures, you know the 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 giant surge that overwhelms the healthcare system should be mitigated. That's the whole point. So, so, in other words, what you're hoping for is people at the end of all of this to say, that wasn't so bad. What was everybody so worried about? That's exactly right. And if you do say that, that means we did it right because it means we slowed it down. It isn't that we shouldn't have done everything we did. In fact, it's the evidence that we should have done everything So 81,000 people as of today, 63,000 completely recovered. Okay. Okay? So, so I the, mean, so from Merrill's point of view, <laughs> most of these people were tested positive, but literally didn't interact with the healthcare system on an inpatient level. Uh, another question from our uh, from our text line, which is 330-541-5794. We heard the Cleveland Clinic and other hospitals have developed coronavirus tests. Uh, what is the region's testing, testing capacity? How many tests have local hospitals administered to date? And we mentioned drive-through testing. When will that happen? And Will this all be? Uh, will there be a cost to patients, and uh, and how is this all going to work? So I'll start on the front end of that, and I'm, okay. our colleagues will take the back end. I think. So uh, we have, uh, and we re started off with testing from the state health department on a very limited basis. They had initially 300 to 400 tests available um, in Columbus, and so those were uh, those were made available. And now what we're seeing is that is that private labs, two private labs, LabCorp and Quest, are working with local hospital systems uh, to uh, stand up testing at facilities where they run those tests through their normal lab practices. And now the, what's happening next is that we will start seeing local hospital systems, and certainly Dr. Boutros can describe, local hospital systems are standing up their own internal capacity. So if you take, take, a, take a look at the uh, Cleveland Clinic, and I, 
absolutely uh, applaud them for for getting that done. And this was news that came out yesterday that correct. they've got a a, 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 a procedure, rapid test. a rapid test, an eight-hour test as opposed to a two to three-day test. Correct. So so if you take a look at their test, which is fairly similar to University of Washington, which developed the test also, very similar test, I think, a, a, a couple of weeks ago. University of Washington has been able to go from zero tests to 2,500 tests a day capacity in two weeks. By the end of this week, they think they're going to be up to 5,000 uh, test capacity. At Metro Health, we're trying to get our confirmation uh, uh, testing done. And as soon as we're up, we hope to be about 500 uh, test capacity. And that's going to continue to, to um, uh, escalate over time as all the hospitals get their, their, their testing, uh, testing up. So, so I don't think that's going to be, a it may be a limiting, uh, limiting problem right now. But thankfully, we don't have that many cases. So uh, we are preparing so that if there is a surge, we will all be ready. So there's not right now a need outstripping the capacity on testing. Well, I think I think what we don't know is is you know the the sort of the denominator. What are the, what are the potentially the folks out there that are exposed that may be positive? And as we test, as we seek, we will find we'll have a better sense of what what sort of the burden is in the community right now. And I think that's being known better the more that we test. It's it's too early to tell, frankly. So to talk about the people under investigation, right? Mm -hmm. Right. We can get their tests done. If right. if somebody's under investigation and we're concerned enough about it. We can get testing done. We're not saying, oh, you're under investigation and we can't do your test for another three days. Right. We, we can want get people who are the sickest, mm -hmm. who are meet CDC guidelines for at risk. We want them to be tested first and quickly. And then we have a subset of folks, again, that meet CDC guidance because they are at risk based on their travel, based on exposure to a, a, somebody who has coronavirus. Those folks are being tested at the private labs and then that tests testing capacity will be expanded as institutions stand up their own internal tests. So we're going to see growth in testing capacity in the coming weeks. And the projected timeline, nobody's going to hold you to it, but the projected timeline for standing up the drive-through testing and things like that? I'm not sure about the drive-through, but I can tell you that Metro Health hopes that within the next two to three weeks we'll have the capacity to be able to do 500 a day. Okay. Uh, I just, look, you're going to have a lot Very of questions. controlled method. Right. <laughs> we're not, yeah. we're not, what, what we're not doing is not, I'm not walking down the street with a swab and just swabbing people, you know, people to, to check this. Yeah. People are going to have a lot of questions. And I can tell you is that the healthcare organizations around here, all of us are thinking about how we're going to respond to them. And, and I can tell you is that when I go back at my two o'clock meeting, they're going to be reporting on um, how we can be able to offer these virtual consults to patients who are worried, free of charge. We will not charge them for any of those things. A virtual consult is FaceTiming your doctor. FaceTiming on the phone, you, 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 you talk to somebody for, for a while so that you can figure out what, what's going on. So I know Metro Health is not the only organization that's thinking about this. We believe this is from a healthcare perspective. This is what we owe the community, and we're going to do as much as we can so that people stay home and pick up the phone and call us and ask the questions, and we'll help direct them to the right resources. Dr. Boutros, thank you. Meryl Gordon, you wanted to get in. So I want just a couple things. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm hearing your questions and your audience questions, which we really appreciate. Um, the, the guidance is coming and is evolving, and yeah. so we really do ask people to, to look at those resources. They're there for a reason. They're designed for different constituencies, and um, it's really, really quite helpful. Um, so um, if you do that, but then you check these rogue websites, and then you say something, you know, I heard something else, it's just confusing um, mass, uh, the masses. Um, and I wanted to just say one thing about mass panic. Like, yes. we, we understand and appreciate how concerned 
the community is. Um, you know, it's the it's the top of the news, it's the bottom of the news, it's the middle of the news, it's here, right? Um, so um, we are doing this to make sure that people know and understand what they can do to help themselves, their loved ones, and the rest of their community. That's why these act actions are actually implemented. Um, mass hysteria is something that is altogether a whole other category that we are starting to see bits and pieces of, people walking into an, uh, an organization saying, I have COVID-19 or I have coronavirus, and causing public scare. Um, and so we really are, um, we're trying to give everybody and anybody as much information as possible. Um, a lot of guidance of should I cancel something? Should I do this? Yeah. Wanting a yes or no answer. Um, we're trying to provide that. A lot of times it is please check the guidance, use some common sense. Um, canceling things is what people are doing and we appreciate that as that is the form to um, make sure well, that you're not interacting it, with people to potentially put them at it, risk. It seems as though canceling events is the, the one thing organizations like ours at least can do mm -hmm in the public's benefit, in the public's mm -hmm. interest. Absolutely. Right. source of information is coronavirus.ohio.gov. Mm -hmm. That is the source where all this guidance that's being developed at the state level as it evolves is posted. coronavirus.ohio.gov. We'll have a link on our website as well. So, so There's Dan, another Dan, question about, about other vulnerable populations. We've talked a lot about the elderly. What about people living with HIV? What about people who are individuals who are pregnant? What about, um, are there other vulnerable populations that should be taking the same self-isolation sort of mm -hmm. precautions? Dr. Watts. Yeah, um, it's a great question. So um, focus, we are focused on the, most of the mortality in China was focused on older populations. This is an age, both an age risk, but also a chronic illness. So we think about patients with chronic lung disease, patients who are oxygen dependent, or have other sorts of chronic mm -hmm. problems that put them at risk. And the, the mental model, again, that I use there is that if, you are, if your health is such that if you were to get sick with, with the flu, you would be someone who would be very sick. That's the same kind of patient um, who is going to be vulnerable from coronavirus. The difference, um, and we talked about this a little earlier, is that we are not seeing coronavirus or COVID-19 in children. And there are a mi very minimal number of the cases so far. Other populations who are at risk, so folks with, you brought up folks with impaired immune systems. We are strongly encouraging all routine best practices for patients with immune systems. And the great news is for people who are undergoing chemotherapy and other sorts of things, they already have really good practices in place, you know, in terms of infection prevention that are at their baseline. And all those things are the right things to continue to be doing to lower the risk of coronavirus. Okay. Um, I think if I asked you all what's the one thing you, the one message you want people to take away, it's probably wash your hands and keep your distance. Um, is there anything more than that, that if there was only one thing that people remember from this moment? Don't be anxious. Yeah. Get educated, because knowledge is power. Thank you, Terry. Agreed. Meryl Gordon. I agree. Dr. Boutros, final thought. I, I, I would say to you, you said that you, you said that you canceled the, the forum because of this, right? Right. So you should, have, you should cancel the forum at the peak of influenza season and, and do it virtually. I'm just, I'm just trying to explain to you is that what applies here yes. applies to influenza. We're going to have 40,000 people dead in the United States because of influenza. Every, by the year. every year. Every year, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't utilize the same, the same uh, precautions. We need to do that. We need to do that. I believe we're going to be developing a vaccine. I think it's going to happen quicker than everything else. I think we're going to actually begin testing some treatments very quickly. So I, I would say, as, as my colleague's saying, uh, it's evolving. It's evolving in its spread, and it's also evolving in how we're going to take care of people. So trust the people who have been preparing for this all their lives. We are here to help you. None of us are running away. We're fully prepared for this. We work with each other, and we'll, we, we will help guide this community uh, through this uh, uh, issue. We've done it in cholera, polio, TB, HIV, we're going to do it with COVID-19. Dr. Akram Boutros is the CEO of Metro Health. With us as well, Dr. Brooke Watts of Metro Health, Meryl Gordon, who's Director of Public Health for the City of Cleveland, and Terry Allen, Commissioner of Public Health for Cuyahoga County. 
Uh, we're going to wrap it up here, but we know that if we didn't get to, there's probably some questions we didn't get to, and we'd like to get answers to as many questions as we can. So we'll share your questions with our colleagues here in public health and post answers to our blog as soon as, you, as, soon as we can. You'll find that at cityclub.org. I want to thank our guests. And again, I want to thank our sponsors, too, the Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging. They're at areaagingsolutions.org and Sisters of Charity Foundation of Cleveland. They're at socfcleveland.org. Also, thanks to City Club board member Mark Ross of PWC, who's inspiring all of us with his contribution to continue the conversation. If you're inspired and you'd like to join Mark in supporting conversations that help democracy thrive and keep our community healthy, find us online at cityclub.org. I'm Dan Malthrop. Stay healthy. Take care of yourself. Take care of one another, be kind, and our forum is adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.